Okay, morning everybody. Um, my name's Joseph, as, as Jonathan says. I'll be continuing our series on the book of John this morning, John's Gospel, that we have been looking at since the start of this year. We've been looking at it and studying it together. So, Stuart's away this morning. I'll take things from here. No, just joking. I was hoping for a few more, a few more numbers here this morning anyway, but, but never mind. Um, what I'm going to do is just briefly introduce myself. We've had quite a few new faces here over the last few weeks, maybe not so many this morning. Lots of new people here. So if you, if you, are, if you haven't been here this, um, before and you're new here this morning, then welcome. It's, it's great to have you here. It's good that God is building his church and bringing people through the doors. That also may mean that you haven't met me before. I know there's a few people here that I haven't met before, so I just want to briefly introduce myself and say a few words about myself and who I am. So I have been in Sutton Coldfield for around about three and a half years. I moved here in September 2010 from a little town in Hertfordshire called Bishop Stortford. So when this church was originally planted, a team of people moved up from Bishop Stortford and I was part of that team and that was about three and a half years ago and I've been here since then. So I came here really because God told me to, quite frankly. There were a few more, few more bits to the process than that but really God, God told me to come here. I remember when Stuart first announced on a Sunday morning at our church in Bishop Stortford, he announced that he and his wife Melanie were going to plant a church somewhere else and I felt God distinctly say to me, that's for you. Perhaps, perhaps not audibly, but quite close to that, I felt God saying, that's for you. And after going through a process, uh, that was that really and, and here I am and I've been here since then. I'm an accountant. I will be getting married to Anna in the summer of this year. It was yesterday, it was 10 weeks to go, so both of us are getting very busy with all the, all the preparations for that. So that's me really. So like I say, we're going to be continuing the series on John's Gospel this morning. So like I said, we've been looking at that, we've taken this whole year, the year of 2014, studying John together, looking at it together. So what I'm going to do is just remind us some of the things we've seen in John's Gospel so far over the course of this year. So, we have seen a bit about John the Baptist. We've learned a bit about him. He talks about Jesus as the, the Lamb of God who will come and take away the sins of the world. We've seen the calling of the disciples. So, Jesus calls the disciples to himself and they give up everything and follow him. We've seen Jesus turning water into wine in that famous first miracle, turning the water to wine. We then saw Jesus, in John's Gospel, often Jesus talks, he gives these long discourses explaining a bit about himself and his nature as God, and we see him talking to Nicodemus about who he is. We then see Jesus talking to the woman at the well. He approaches the Samaritan woman and proceeds to tell her all about her own life. We then see Jesus heal a paralytic at the pool and this is where we got up to last week. Mike spoke to us last week about 
what Jesus has to say about that incident. He talks about him being in the Father and the Father in him and the authority that he gets from the Father, that he only does what he sees the Father doing. And that's where we're up to, really. That's where we've got to. So I'm going to continue with the story this week, as it were. And we're going to be looking at two very famous accounts, which I'm sure you're all familiar with, which is the feeding of the 5,000 and Jesus walking on water. So if you'd like to get your Bibles out, it is John 6, verses 1 to 21. Bibles, iPhones, iPads, whatever you've got. And I'm just going to read that for us. So it says, Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is, the Sea of Tiberias. And a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the miraculous signs he had performed on the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover feast was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming towards him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, eight months' wages would not buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go among so many people? Jesus said, make the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and the men sat down, about 5,000 of them. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, Gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled twelve baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. After the people saw the miraculous sign that Jesus did, they began to say, Surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. When evening came, his disciples went down to the lake, where they got into a boat and set off across the lake for Capernaum. By now it was dark, and Jesus had not yet joined them. A strong wind was blowing, and the waters grew rough. When they had rowed three or three and a half miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water, and they were terrified. But he said to them, It is I... Don't be afraid. Then they were willing to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. So, I'm just going to summarise what's happened there, just break it down into a little little bit more of a bite-sized chunk for us. So, It's two very famous stories, the the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus then walking on water. And what John says, he starts by saying that this all happens around the time of the Jewish Passover. So bear that in mind, that might become important later. And 
what we see is this big crowd of people following him because they've seen him performing all these miraculous signs and they're following him around and they want to see another sign. Then we see Jesus having this discussion with Philip as to how they're going to feed these people. And then what happens is the little boy comes forward with his five loaves and two fish and Jesus miraculously feeds the crowd and everybody eats as much as they wanted. We then see they collect the leftovers, 12 baskets in total. So, in fact, more food is collected than they initially started with. And what we see then is the people try to make Jesus king by force. But Jesus doesn't want that and he withdraws to a lonely place. So the disciples are left on their own on the lake and a big storm whips up. And then we see Jesus coming towards them, walking on the water. And they say, they say we're afraid, we're frightened, but Jesus said, it is I. And they are willing to let Jesus into the boat with them. And immediately... Jesus gets them to where they need to be. So that's the story in summary. So who is this man? That's what we've entitled this series. We've entitled it, Who is this man? Who is this man who can multiply loaves, multiply fish? Who is this man who can walk on water? Who is this Jesus? What is John trying to tell us through these stories about the man, Jesus Christ. Remember that John is one of the disciples, so he lives day in, day out with Jesus for a period of about three years. And John has this incredibly close relationship with Jesus. We see that he refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. So he has this intimate relationship with Jesus. He has a first-hand account of what it is like to be around God as he walked the earth as the man, Jesus Christ. He's got an eyewitness account. And that's the question I want to look at this morning, really, is what is John trying to tell us from his experiences of being around God, of being around Jesus? So the first thing that I really picked up on when I was looking at the passage, and probably the most important thing, is that Jesus Christ is God. Of course, Jesus Christ is God. He's the Messiah. He's the Chosen One. So, the feeding of the 5,000 actually occurs in all four Gospels. So, it's clearly quite an important story. The walking on the water occurs in three of the four Gospels. But in all three of those, the walking on water directly follows the feeding of the 5,000. So sometimes we see that the gospel writers will vary around the order in which they um, share their accounts, but that's not the case here. In in all of those three gospels, the walking on water directly follows the feeding of the 5,000. So the stories clearly go together. And what they do for me, the two stories put together, really provide us with that bit more evidence of Jesus' divine Nature. So we've seen it throughout the gospel already. What Jesus does is he backs up what he says by his actions. So what he says about himself, he backs it up with his miracles. The water turning into wine, the healing at the pool, it, always, it all points to the fact that he is God. And it's the same here. And really Jesus' miracles speak for themselves. For who else but God could defy the laws of 
the natural world. Who else but God could supernaturally multiply bread, multiply fish? Who else but God could supernaturally walk on water? So Jesus Christ is God. I've got a degree in physics, so I know that God created the world with some sense of order. He created the laws of physics. He created nature as it is with a sense of order. And that's a blessing to us, really, so that the world doesn't operate like a complete shambles around us. God has created it with a sense of order. God created science. The two aren't mutually exclusive, as some people may suggest. If God created the laws of physics, then quite frankly, he can walk all over those laws if he likes. And that's what Jesus demonstrates here, quite literally. See, he's God. He spoke the world into existence. And therefore, he has the authority to change the things he himself created, if he wants to. And he demonstrates that here by miraculously multiplying loaves and and walking on water. Jesus even confirms to us in, in the second account that he is God. He says in verse 20, when the disciples say that they are terrified, he says, here I am, it is me. I can't remember the exact wording, but actually in, in the Greek, what he actually says is I am. He is the great I am of the Old Testament. And we've seen that all through John so far, this underlying theme that Jesus Christ is God. So, what does John want to teach us through this account of the feeling of the 5,000 about Jesus in his, in his capacity as God? What, what lessons can we learn about Jesus in this passage? Well, what we learn is different things about God's character and, and the, the nature of God as demonstrated by the actions of Jesus. So, firstly, God is the God of the impossible. God can make impossible things happen. The disciples were presented with a situation where they had to feed 5,000 people with five loaves and two fish. It's impossible. It can't be done. Yet when you bring Jesus into the equation, Jesus can make the impossible possible. It's impossible for a virgin to get pregnant. It was impossible for Mary to get pregnant, and yet it happened. It was impossible for Moses to part the Red Sea, and yet it happened. And all Christians, actually, all Christians have a story of how God made something possible for them that was impossible, because it is impossible for a sinner to be in the presence of a holy God. And we all find ourselves in that boat, for we've all sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. And yet you bring Jesus into the equation and he makes it possible. It's impossible for a man to lead a sinless life. And yet Jesus made it possible. Jesus, through his perfect life, his death and resurrection, washed away our sins so it makes it possible for us to come back into a relationship with our Father in heaven. Jesus makes it possible for us to be reconciled back to the Father. He is the God of the impossible. So I'm sure many of us here have our own little stories of how God has done impossible things for us. I've got my own little story, which I'm just going to share. Hopefully you'll find it vaguely amusing. And it's my own little story of the feeding of the 5,000, really. So the story goes, 
um, I, was, I was driving. I was actually going down to a funeral um, on, the, on the south coast. Didn't want to be late. And so I had to go through the Dartford Crossing. And I don't know if you've been there, but you go over the bridge and then you have to go through the tolls and you have to pay at the tolls. So I stupidly hadn't brought any money with me, which is typical behaviour of me, really. Um, so I, d- I didn't have the, enough money to pay for the tolls. Luckily, I'm, I'm looking at these tolls, and I think there's seven or eight of them are card, pay by card, and then the last three are pay by cash. So I'm like, yeah, great, I'll just go into the pay by card, because that'll, that'll be fine. And I think I was queuing for the last pay by card toll, and I actually found myself in the wrong lane. So as I'm getting nearer and nearer, I realise I'm in the first pay by cash lane. So I can't pay my way through the toll. And I've got a big queue of traffic up behind me. Don't really know what to do because I can't pay for this toll. So I'm going through and I just sort of thought I'm probably just going to try and blag it. And I saw an attendant in a, in a high-vis jacket. And so I thought, oh, I'll, you know, I'll just sling in what I've got and, and hopefully he'll come and I'll just say, oh, yeah, I tried and see if he'll let me through. <laughs> Like, it was a ridiculous idea, but that was, that was my thinking at the time. Anyway, I, I emptied out my change. I must have had about £1.80 in my hand. And the, the fee is, let's say, £5, probably around £5. And so I just slung it into the basket, what, what I had, this £1.80-ish. I definitely cannot have had more than £2 in my hand at that time. The money goes through the basket, ching, 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 and it flashes up on the screen, £4.95. And I was like... Oh, by the way, I prayed first. I prayed, God, will you, will you help me through this situation? Flashed up £4.95, and I'm still 5p short. And I said another little prayer, and then I looked down at a little coin dispenser where, where it gives you your change, and there's just a five-pence piece just sitting there. So I open my car door and pick it up and just chuck it in the basket. Five pound up on the screen, and off I go. And I was, thank you, Jesus. And like, it, it's, it's an amusing little story, but... That was undoubtedly God. He is the God of the impossible. He just blessed me in that little way. And it reminds me of the story of the feeding of the 5,000 because Jesus actually did that. And I wonder what it was like to actually look at it and see, you know, what did it look like when this bread was just multiplying? Did it just appear? Like, it, it, it wasn't there and then it was there. And I didn't have the money and then I had the money. Can't explain it. But that's God. And we will all have stories like that. Some of them small little things, but some of us will have massive stories of when God has done the impossible for us. Jesus makes the impossible possible. Next thing I learned in the passage is that God has a plan. So the disciples were presented with this seemingly impossible situation, which in the eyes of common sense... It couldn't be done. How do you feed people with five loaves, 5,000 people with five loaves and two fish? Yet Jesus had a plan. And we see it with how he deals with Philip. It actually says, what he says to Philip, how are we going to do this? It says in, in the passage, he only does it to test Philip. Because Jesus already has in mind what he's going to do. He already has a plan. Do you find yourself in a seemingly impossible situation? Because if you do, Jesus already has in mind what he's going to do, and we can take comfort from that. Sometimes in your life, you will find yourselves in these 
impossible situations. And Jesus will ask you that little question, what are you going to do here? And he does it to test us. Because sometimes there's a lesson to be learnt that our own resources and what we can do in our own strengths sometimes aren't enough. What common sense says, it's not enough. But God has the resources to make things happen that he wants to happen. We can trust that Jesus has a plan and a solution. God knows your heart. He, he will test your heart in this way. It's exactly what he does with Philip, not in a condemning way, but in a positive way. Notice that Jesus says to Philip, how are we going to buy food to feed 5,000 people? He says, how are we going to buy that food? That's a ridiculous thing for Jesus to say. There's probably, the commentators say, there are actually more like about 20,000 people there, because 5,000 men plus women and children, it's probably more like about 20,000. So as if Jesus thought they were going to go and buy food. You know, where would they buy it? They can't just rock up to Tesco's and buy a load of food. And the disciples, with food for 20,000 people, as if they'd be carrying that amount of food around with them. It's, it's actually quite a ridiculous suggestion by Jesus. And we know, like, he knows he's not going to buy the food. So why does he say it to Philip? Where can we buy this food? It's because he knows Philip's heart. Because Philip's immediate response is eight months' wages won't be enough to feed these people. He calculates it. He's already thinking in terms of money. He's thinking in terms of the, the worldly common sense solution. It's probably a little bit cheeky of Jesus to suggest that they were going to buy it because would Philip have reacted in that way if Jesus hadn't said it? But Philip doesn't go, well, God, you can do it. He says, well, we don't have the money. Philip immediately turns to money. And I felt like God would challenge us on that this morning. Do we all too easily look in a given situation to the solution of money? Do we Always think in terms of money. We can do it if we have money, but we can't if we don't. Or rather, can we trust that God can do things by his means? Is our solution always in terms of what money can or can't afford? Or can we take a step of faith in what God has said? And I'm, I'm the worst culprit when it comes to money. I know I too easily put my security in, in money, Actually, I think I would say that I probably worship security more than God sometimes, and that's idolatry and something that I need to repent of because my security should be in, in Christ. And there's a whole host of things that the New Testament says about money. It actually talks about money a lot more than many other topics. And there's nothing, actually, there's nothing wrong with money. God provides it. God blesses us with it. We're taught to steward it well. We're taught to be obedient with what God asks us specifically to do with it, and that will be different for different people. We're told to be generous with it and not let a good thing become a God thing. And that's my point, really, from the passage, is that if God is asking you to do something, if God has put a dream on your heart, or if God, if he has promised something, then he can provide the means for it to happen, regardless of the finances of the situation, just like he provides for 5,000 people. What else does John teach us through this story? We can learn so many lessons from the little boy who comes forward with his lunch. 
Because God uses us as his means of benefiting others. The story would have worked without the little boy. It could have been Jesus just made the bread from nowhere. But the little boy's in the story because Jesus chooses to use us as his means of benefiting others. When we bring what we have to Jesus, others are blessed, and we are blessed ourselves through it. Imagine that little boy went home that day and Jesus used his food to to feed 5,000 people. He would have been massively blessed by what Jesus did with his offering. God can use seemingly insignificant people. Of 5,000 people present, he, he chose to use a little boy. So never rule yourself out as insignificant. Because God delights in using the humble, seemingly insignificant people for his purposes when we give what we have to Jesus, he can use it in significant ways. And it didn't take much. It only took the boy's lunch. We don't have to build ourselves up to a place where we're ready for Jesus to use us. He can use us with what little we have. We should never think as Christians that our resources are too little to serve God. See, what you bring to Jesus can can benefit many people. And it's, it's like the parable of the talents. We're taught not to, not to hide what we have, but bring it to Jesus. Our time, our money, our giftings, and God can shatter our expectations of what we expect when we give what little we have to Jesus. There's a lesson of sacrifice here. There probably, it's probably not far-fetched to think that there would have been other people in that crowd who had food. It doesn't mention them, but are we to think that only a little boy had the common sense to bring some food with him. There probably would have been others. Maybe they're the ones who kept the food to themselves. But the boy brings it to Jesus. He makes a sacrifice. That food probably would have been enough to feed him and his family for a few days. And when we make those sacrifices for Jesus, he can use them for a greater good. Ultimately, the feeding of the 5,000 is a story of God's nature as a provider. He provides us with our needs. He gives us bread on a daily basis. You've heard that that expression, putting bread on the table, but ultimately God is the provider of our bread. In Matthew's Gospel, he takes it a step further and says, don't worry about what you will eat, what you will wear, for even the birds of the air do not sow, reap, or store in barns, but the Heavenly Father feeds them, and aren't you more valuable than the birds? So we can trust in God as our provider of our physical needs. God provides us with everything we have, really, because everything is made by God. Everything good comes from God. Our relationships, our friends, our giftings, our talents, it's all good God-given. Sometimes God gives us over and above what we need. So the food is distributed and everybody eats enough and there is enough leftovers. Well, there's more than they started with when they collect the leftovers. So God often gives over and above what we need. There were 12 baskets of leftovers and I believe this is really significant. I believe this refers to or is an echo of the 12 tribes of Israel. So in the desert, when the 12 tribes were with Moses, It was through Moses that the manna was provided, the bread from heaven was provided. And Jesus completely outdoes Moses here and feeds a far greater multitude. He's a better Moses. 
there are echoes in the story of Elisha. So in the book of Kings, Elisha feeds 100 people with 20 barley loaves. And note that John specifically says that these were barley loaves. It's like an echo of that story. But Jesus, again, he outdoes Elisha. He feeds a far greater multitude. Jesus is a greater Elisha. The fact that there's so much food left over points to God's nature as a lavish, gracious, abundant giver. So in the Psalms it says, God will bless his children lavishly with spiritual blessings, even to overflowing. And that brings me to my next point. Because God does not just bless us with the physical bread. He blesses us spiritually. So the feeding of the 5,000 points to a far deeper truth than than just physical blessings. And just to illustrate that, I I need to talk about the context of John's Gospel as a whole. Because what we see through the book of John, what we've seen so far, is that Jesus performs a number of miraculous signs. And then he will go on to explain it. He'll perform the miracle and he'll give a big, long discourse, a big, long speech, and he'll illustrate a point from that miracle. So he uses the miracle of the water into wine to say the significance is that the old rituals have gone and there's a new way of living. He uses the, the healing of the man at the pool to say the significance is that now healing can be found in him. And the feeding of the 5,000 is another one of these big miraculous signs that Jesus goes on to explain in greater detail. And Stuart will cover that. Um, it's the next passage, so he'll cover that in a couple of weeks' time. And what Jesus goes on to say, we've just seen him, seen him feed people with bread, but he goes on to say that he's the bread of life. He doesn't just meet our physical needs, but our spiritual needs. He gives us life. See, the bread of your weekly food shop is bread, obviously, because we need, what we need in our, in our shopping is bread. The bread of your life is Jesus, because we need Jesus for life. When you feed on Jesus, as it were, you you get life. We need him because he rescues us from our sin. We were subject to death and judgment, but Jesus gives us life and life in abundance. He picks us up, turns us around, sets us off with a new identity where we are no longer slaves to sin, but he gives us freedom. He gives us new life with him at the centre. That's what real life is. That's why we're called Real Life Church. We walk with Jesus, do relationship with Jesus, change the world with Jesus. Soundbite. And I can personally, I can personally, personally testify to what my life looked like before I knew Jesus and what it now looks like since I've known Jesus because he's given me life, a life empowered by the Holy Spirit where my life is built on the firm foundation that is Jesus Christ. He gives us rivers of living water. And when we accept Christ as our saviour, not only does he bless us in this life, but in the life to come. He gives us an eternal future of perfect joy, happiness, peace, where there is no sickness, death, suffering, sin. And he gives us that forever and ever and ever and ever in eternity. And the only way to this is through Jesus Christ. Moses provided the manna from heaven But God the Father provides the true bread, his son, Jesus Christ. 
And what happens with the crowds in the story is that they completely miss this point. They try and make Jesus king by force because they just wanted their physical needs to be met. And this is why it was significant that it happened around the time of the Passover because the Jews celebrate at Passover when Moses set them free from slavery in Egypt. So at the time of Passover, the Jews' hopes of deliverance were especially high. And when Moses set people free from Egypt, set the Israelites free from Egypt, they saw that Jesus, they hoped that Jesus could set them free from the, from the Roman Empire, from that oppression. They saw where Moses provided manna in the desert, Jesus had completely outdone that and they just wanted more of that. It says that they'd found the prophet that Moses himself spoke of and they wanted to make him king by force because they just wanted more of the physical stuff. They wanted Jesus to meet their demands. They wanted to impose their will on God but God's not like that and Jesus runs away. He He goes off into the mountains. And I think sometimes we do that ourselves. We try and impose our demands on God. Have you ever been disappointed when you think that God is not giving you what you think you need? Are you after the the spiritual bread or just material benefits? Earlier I said that we can trust in God as our provider, but what if at the moment you're feeling, actually, God, I don't think you're meeting my needs? I know I've had times like that. I've had really hard times where life has just been a graft and I've felt like my needs aren't being met. And yet in hindsight, I can look back on those times and can see that God was giving me my spiritual bread because in the hard times, God has taken me through that process and used those times to grow me, develop me, work in me and do work in me. And actually, I can look back on those times and say, actually, in those times, you were meeting my spiritual needs Perhaps we need to think more in terms of 